Good morning, everyone. It's good to have you here today. Everybody okay? All right. Hey, um, before I start this morning, I want to ask you, what are you waiting for? All right, so if I was to give you a piece of paper, and on the top of it says, three things that I'm waiting for, all right, three things that I'm waiting for, what would you write down? Dun, 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 dun. What would it be? Well, I venture to say that none of you would have written down, I'm waiting for the second coming of Christ. I think we are so fixated on, oh, right there? Okay, let's give her a hand, all right. Uh, so I think we get so fixated on this world and our lives and situ situations around us, and we don't really hear much about uh, the second coming of Christ, and so it really doesn't cross our minds much. It's something that we don't really uh, even think about much. Well, in our current series, we're looking at the topic of waiting, and last week I shifted the focus from waiting for things within our daily life, waiting for the Lord to come to us uh, in our daily lives, to three things that the Bible tells us that we, every Christian should be waiting for. The Bible tells us that every Christian should be eagerly waiting for the redemption of the body, the second coming of Christ, and the new heavens and new earth. Now, these three things are part of uh, the study of theology that's called eschatology. Eschatology, which is the study of last things, all right? And a lot of times we don't hear much about eschatology in, in today's church, and you might not have limited knowledge concerning it, but uh, we do need to have this sense of expectation that the Lord is going to come back, that we will receive a glorified body, and that there will be a new heavens and new earth. Literally, these are the last things. Now, last week we looked at waiting for the redemption of our bodies, that is the promise that one day we will inherit a glorified body and be with the Lord forever. But this morning I want us to focus on waiting for the second coming of Christ. Waiting for the second coming of Christ. Christ in his first coming, he humbled himself and became obedient, obedient to the point of death, even death upon the cross. But in his second coming, he will come as the conquering king. In his first coming... He came as the suffering servant, and second coming, he will arrive with all the armies of heaven by his side. The Bible clearly teaches that every believer should be eagerly waiting for the second coming of Christ. Let me just give you a little sample of scriptures that God is calling us in this way. First of all, Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many... Here a second time for the sal for salvation without reference to sin to those who notice eagerly wait. For our citizenship is not in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, awaiting eagerly 
the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, that is, the, his appearing. And again, for we through the Spirit by faith are waiting for the hope of righteousness. And then lastly, wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, that is, Jesus, who rescues us from the that scripture calls us to wait for the second coming of Christ, to have this eager expectation for the second coming of Christ. And as I shared with you last week, this is not some humdrum waiting. This is not the twiddling of your thumb sort of waiting. This is waiting with divine expectation. God's word teaches that every believer should have this eager expectation for the coming of Christ, that we should love his coming, that we should look for his coming, we should be ready for his coming, be patient until he comes, and pray for his coming. As a matter of fact, the New Testament has 260 chapters, and found within those 260 chapters are over 318 references to the coming of Christ. So we see literally on every page of the New Testament, there is some sort of reference to the second coming of Christ. It seems that God really wants us to know about the second coming. So let's just have a little review here so that we can all be on the same page. Now, even though there are some disagreements concerning issues surrounding the second coming of Christ. If you can go back to the title slide right now, it would be great. Thank you. All right. Uh, there are some issues surrounding the second coming of Christ, such as the rapture, the tribulation, the millennium, the antichrist. And we can talk about all those things at another time. I'd love to have a discussion with you about any questions around those topics. But regardless of what your point of view is on any of those things, the Bible, every Christian should agree that Jesus is coming again. You can be pre, post, post, mid, ah, whatever you want to do. But the fact is, when it gets right down to it, no matter what our opinion is, we believe that Jesus is coming again. Let me just give you a little sample of scripture that teaches us about the second coming of Christ. First of all, Jesus tells us the Son of Man will appear in the sky and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with great glory. Again, Jesus tells us when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him then he will sit on his glorious throne. Again, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. Where I am, there you will be, may be also. And then we see at the beginning of the birth of the book of Acts, after he had said these things, Jesus was lifted up while they were still looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. They were gazing into the sky while he was going. Behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. 
They also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus, who has been taken up from heaven, will come and just go into heaven. And again, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. And lastly, behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it is to be. Amen. The Bible teaches that the second coming of Christ will be physical, visible, glorious, and triumphant. The second coming of Christ will upend the future age, the eternal state of all things, and the new heavens and the new earth. But the Bible tells us in the meantime that there will be mockers who will come with their mocking, following after their own lust, saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. How God responds to these mockers more next week. But for now, let me just say that there are mockers even today. If you tell someone that you believe in the second coming of Christ, you can almost be reassured that you will be mocked. Just go into work tomorrow and start talking about it. People today consider the second coming of Christ to be utterly fantastic a fantasy, they consider it to be an outdated mythology, and they consider it to be scientifically un. As a matter of fact, these mockers put the second coming of Christ in the same category as the cow jumped over the moon. That is, they look at the second coming of Christ to be a theological fairy tale. That are is only believed by fanatics. And that's not the way the Bible at all. These mockers basically say, "Well, listen, if the Lord's going to come back, and why hasn't He come back yet?" And as they mock, the Bible says, "They do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved." That with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand, day, a thousand years like one day. Basically, our sense of time, our sense of history, is not God's sense of time. It's not God's sense of history. And be reassured that the Lord is not slow about his promises, as some count slowness. But he's patient towards you. Not wishing for any to perish, but all to come 
to repentance. So have you ever considered that the Lord's delay is actually a demonstration of his grace and of his mercy? Because not, willing that, not wishing that any would perish, but all would come to repentance. The Bible tells us, though, the Lord will come. But he'll come like a thief in the night. While the world's saying peace and safety, everything you on, the same way it's continued on throughout all history, the Bible tells us that one day the Lord will come. It's like an expecting mother doesn't know exactly when the baby's going to come. But she knows that baby's coming. And all of a sudden, it will come upon her. So she has this eager expectation. So it is, believers, we might not know exactly when the Lord will come. We should have this eager expectation that Jesus will come again. But of course, no one knows when. Jesus will come. Jesus said it like this. But, that, uh, that, but of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angel. As a matter of fact, if somebody tells you that Jesus is going to come back September 4th, 2018, I would, if I was a betting man, I would bet Jesus is not going to come back September 4th, 2018. No one knows the day or the hour. Jesus said it like this, For it's times which the Father has fixed in his own authority. But why? Why? I tell you why. It's like we don't lose weight until the wedding's coming. We don't lose weight until the class reunion is upon us. We don't, we don't get healthy until we know we're going for the physical. And so we wouldn't fall, that we don't fall back into that type of mindset when it comes to our spirituality. The Father has fixed it in his own authority that not to let us know. Our church fathers actually said this, that they said that the Father has not let us know the day nor hour that Jesus would come so that we would shake off all carnal security. What that means is, is the Father has fixed it in his own authority that you don't know when he's coming so that you would get rid of fleshly tendencies now. Not just because he's coming tomorrow, but because Jesus is coming. So the Father says, no, I'm not going to tell you when because if I tell you when, you're going to wait to get yourself spiritually fit the day or so before he comes. I want you to be spiritually fit throughout the whole process of waiting for Jesus' second coming. Let me describe to you what happens to some Christians. And I'm not talking about any in this room. Well, maybe I'm talking about myself. So a person comes to Christ and they're standing firm footed on the rock of ages. They grow in their knowledge of the word and 
and perhaps even for years, they are free of all doubts and they rest securely in the forgiveness and the grace of Jesus Christ. But after a period of time, they begin to take ease in Zion. The Bible uses the city of Zion as the city of God, the kingdom of God. And after a while, sometimes within our spirituality, we start becoming, well, we just start taking ease in Zion. We fall into what the scripture calls a spiritual slumber. And we start to become lax within our spiritual disciplines, maintain a, a, a spiritual vitality. We become what could be technically known as spiritually fat and happy. That's carnal security, resting in the things of this world and the things of this life and not living in expectation of the Lord coming. So our church fathers are encouraging us to shake off those fleshly tendencies, to be alert and to stand firm in our faith. Now, again, when the topic of the second coming of Christ comes up, people always want to talk about the tribulation, the millennium. They want to talk about the Antichrist. They want to determine, are you pre, are you mid, are you post, are you ah, what are you? But what I'm sharing with you this morning is that seem to me to meet the main focus of scripture when it comes with our eager expectation of the coming of Christ. It's not, it's, it's not like the Bible doesn't talk about all those things. The Bible certainly gives us evidence about every one of those topics. But it seems that that's not the point of scripture when it comes for our waiting for the second coming of Christ. The, the whole point of scripture in our waiting for the second coming of Christ is that we would be spiritually fit. That would be growing in our spirituality. I, I, think, I think Jesus says it the best when he asks this question. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? That's the point. So if Jesus came today, tomorrow, next week, next month, next year, next decade, would you be a person of faith? During that time. That's the emphasis of scripture when it comes down to get, being ready, waiting for the second coming of Christ. That we would be people of faith. Now, in a series of parables, Jesus really addresses, I believe, three things that we need to shake off. ...as we are waiting for his return. And the first thing we must shake off... ...is becoming too focused on this life. Too focused on this life. Here's the parable. Jesus says, For the coming of the Son of Man... ...will be like the days of Noah. 
For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark, they did not understand that came and took them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Now, I want you to notice that these people prior to the flood were focused on eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. Now, let me just say, there is nothing wrong with eating and drinking. As you can see, I enjoy that quite well. There's nothing wrong with marrying or giving in marriage. Actually, I've done both. I've been I've married and I've given my son away to be married. But the problem these people of Noah's generation had become too focused on the finer things of life than on the kingdom of God. As Noah was hammering, building the ark. Noah, why are you building the boat? The flood's coming. They're like, man, take a break. Come over for lunch. Let's have a drink. They're like, hey, we're going to, our family, man, we're going to have a wedding in a couple of weeks. And it's all they were focused on is this life. You see, the problem is, is when Jesus ceases to be the center of our lives. The problem is when we replace Christ with others or with other things. Instead of following what Jesus said, first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. So if we're really going to have this eager expectation for the coming of Christ, then we need to, to really shake off this idea of becoming too focused on life. We have to keep our focus on eternal things. Are you all still here with me? Okay, it's about ten. All right, we need to ask the Lord to send the Holy Spirit so that we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. The second thing that Jesus teaches us in this series of parables is to shake off becoming spiritually lazy. Becoming spiritually lazy. Jesus says, who then is a faithful and sensible slave whom his master puts in charge of his household to give them their food at proper time? Blessed is that slave whom the master finds so doing when he comes. Notice, so doing. Now, I'm just going to tell you, I've edited this a little bit because he talks about the bad slaves as well, but I'm trying to keep this positive, as positive as possible. So we're going to really try to stay focused on what we need to do to really eagerly wait for Jesus' return. And what we need to do is to be doing. The Lord has appointed us. He is the master, of course, in the parable. And he has appointed us to be his stewards or his servants. And he's put us in charge of his household. That is his family. That is his church. And the Lord wants to find us doing 
when he comes. Can, can you just imagine how cool it would be to be teaching a children's Sunday school lesson and Jesus come? Can you imagine how cool it would be that you'd be taking out the trash after the Sunday morning service and Jesus comes on the way to the dumpster? Can you imagine how cool it would be where you're sharing your faith with a, with a co-worker and, you, and that person, God draws that person to himself and you're helping lead that person to Christ and Jesus comes. Can you imagine what it would be like to be in a prayer meeting and Jesus comes? The guy we're talking to is now the guy we see face to face. Can you imagine what it would be like to be in a Bible study, studying God's word, and then the word is there? But all these things are things we have to put ourselves to doing. We have to put ourselves to doing these things. And so we put ourselves to all these things because we want to be that slave, that servant, that steward who the master finds doing when he comes. And we want to shake off becoming spiritually. The Bible says it like this. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Not forsaking our assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more when you see the day drawing near. Why would God add that last phrase? Why wouldn't God just say, consider how to stimulate one another together as a habit of some, but encouraging one another? Why didn't he just stop there? Why didn't he keep on and say, and all the more as you see the day drawing near, all the more as you see the coming of Christ drawing near, you need to be doing these things. Why? Because the, 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 the master wants to find his servants doing when he comes. Doing when he comes. Doing acts of love and good deeds. Doing the assembly together. That's what he wants to find. When he returns. The third thing that Jesus teaches us in this parable is to shake off becoming spiritually lethargic. Spiritually lethargic. Here's the parable. The kingdom of heaven will be compared to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Of course, the bridegroom is Jesus. Now five of these girls were foolish. Five were prudent. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the prudent took oil in flask along with their lamps. Now while the bridegroom was delaying, they got drowsy and began to sleep. But at midnight there was a shout, Behold, comes, come out and meet him. Then all the virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. Foolish said to the prudent, give me some oil for our lamps are going out. But the prudent says, no, there's not enough for us. And you go instead to the dealers and buy some. The bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast. And the door was shut. 
Later, the other virgins also came saying, Lord, Lord, open up to us. And he says, truly I say to you, I do not know you. Here's the clincher. Be on alert then, for you do not know the day nor the hour. The whole point of the parable is the last phrase. Be on alert, for you do not know the day or the hour. Now these five foolish girls, they became lethargic and kind of complacent and apathetic. They were not prudent and they certainly lacked preparation. I think verse 5 captures the heart of these girls. It says, and while the bridegroom was delaying, they got drowsy and began to sleep. Is that the way you are spiritually? Like the person I mentioned earlier, these girls, they um, took ease in Zion. They fell into a spiritual number and they became lax in practicing spiritual disciplines to maintain their spiritual health. They became drowsy, sleepy, lethargic. And it can happen to us too. The Bible says we need to be careful how we walk. Not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of our time. Because the days are evil. So then, the Bible says, do not be foolish. But understand what the will of the Lord is. The idea is that we're going to put ourselves not only to doing, but in constant preparation, anxiously awaiting the coming of Christ. In these parables, Jesus taught us three things that we must shake off, and it's my challenge for us today as we consider waiting for the second coming of Christ, that we would put ourselves not necessarily into the details of pre, post, mid, or ah, but that we'd put our focus on these three. We must shake off becoming too focused on this life instead of being focused. We must shake off becoming spiritually lazy and we must consider how serve. And many of you need to really consider how you're going to serve. We must shake off becoming spiritually lethargic. And we need to maintain a spiritual alertness and a, a sense of readiness. That we want to be ready when the Lord comes. As, as weird of a story this is and... My grandmother, I've told this story before, my grandmother was a very, 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 very godly Christian woman. Taught children's Sunday school, I think her whole life, right? Well, she did it all my life until she passed. My dad wanted to take my grandmother to a movie, to a theater, see a movie. And my dad's name was Marlon. She called him Marley. And she says, Marley, I can't go to. Well, why, Mom? I, I, I want to treat you and take you. Well, what, what if I go to the theater and Jesus would come back? I wouldn't be ready. She considered going to the theater such a sin, right? And, um, and even though 
her theology is different than mine in the details, I do appreciate her. She really did consider her life and how she was living for the Lord right now. Because what if Jesus came back? Have you ever thought about it? As I conclude this morning, I want to introduce you to two people who are waiting for the first coming of Christ. And I want to use these two people as possibly a model for us to follow after. Their names are Simeon and Anna, and their story is found in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 2, where Mary and Joseph were, was bringing baby Jesus to the temple to offer the sacrifices required for the firstborn males. And the Bible says, and there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Now this phrase, consolation of Israel, basically means the coming of Christ, the first coming of Christ. So he was righteous, devout, looking for the coming of Christ, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And also in the temple was a prophetess, her name was Anna, and she was advanced in years, living as a widow for 84 years, and she never left the temple serving night and day with fastings and prayers, looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. And this phrase, looking for the redemption of Israel, is looking for the coming of the Messiah. But notice she was serving night and day with fastings and prayers. I, I think we should see Simeon and Anna in them the character of heart and life that the Lord desires for those who wait for his coming. Simeon was a righteous and devout looking for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And that's what God wants to do in your life. He wants to pour upon you the righteousness of Christ. He wants to give you a sense of devotion to him as number one and supreme. He wants to give you the sense of your looking for the coming of Jesus Christ. And he wants to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. He wants to lavish upon you the Holy Spirit. That's a person who has eager expectation for the coming of Christ. And then Anna, she's serving night and day with fastings and prayers, looking for the redemption of Israel. So notice this attitude of service. And she's 84 years old. She's a little bit younger than John Russo. But anyway, <laughs> she's been serving the Lord in all this way. She's only married seven years. All the rest of her life, she was a widow serving in the temple. Year after year, time. And she's serving, serving the Lord, serving the Lord. And she's fasting and she's praying. She's looking for the coming of the Messiah. I think Anna is a prime example, a prime model of what God wants to do in us as we await the coming of Christ. So I am pleading with you to ask the Holy Spirit this morning to enable you to have the character of heart and life as Simeon and Anna as we wait for the second coming of Christ. Let's pray. 
Lord God, we come to you today asking for your forgiveness that we become so focused on this life we have forgotten the kingdom of God. We become so lazy we forgot that we should be doing. We become so lethargic we have fallen into spiritual slumber. But Lord, thank you that you teach us your word and through the grace of Jesus Christ, you forgive us of our, trans our trespasses. And Lord, we ask you today to send your Holy Spirit and give us these characteristics of heart and life that we see in Anna and Simeon. That we would be people who are eagerly waiting for the second coming of Christ. Not focused necessarily on, on all the theological details, even though they are very comforting to us. But focusing in on our hearts and our lives, serving you until the day you return. And we pray these prayers in Jesus' name. Amen.